This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee and this is The Full Story. Over the coming weeks and months, the Australian government will start repatriating more than 60 women and children from Syria. They are the wives, sons and daughters of Islamic State fighters who've either been killed, captured or gone missing. These families have been held for years in dangerous conditions in detention camps in Syria's northeast. I mean, it looks as though this is going to happen, but it, by the sounds of it, when you talk about the risks and if national security is the number one priority, should it be happening? Mm. Well, I guess there's a general argument you could have there. While some say that their return poses a risk to Australia's national security, human rights advocates say they have a legal right to come home and that the government has a moral obligation to bring them back. I don't have sympathy for some of those blokes who went over there yeah. and uh, no sympathy at all. But if you're a kid under six, don't let's let's not pretend anyone really asked their permission or, or what was happening to them. And We've got about 40 Australian kids living in one of the most dangerous places on earth in a refugee camp. Some of the women, some of the mothers were taken there as little more than children themselves and married off to IS fighters. Some of them tricked, some of them forced to go there. So who are these Australians? And what will their lives be like when they return? Today, the mission to rescue Australian families trapped in Syria. It's Monday, the 10th of October. Okay. Ben, you've been reporting on this issue for a while now, that is the plight of Australians that are currently trapped in Syria. I wonder if you can start by telling me about these people. Who are they and how did they end up there? So we know there are about 60 Australians, roughly 20 women and and a little more than, than 40 children who are currently held in, uh, in two camps, at least two camps in, in the northeast of Syria. Ben Doherty is a reporter at Guardian Australia. The numbers are a little bit difficult to ascertain. There are some people there who might have a right to claim Australian citizenship but aren't sort of yet recognised as Australian citizens. So the numbers are a little bit fluid. But we're talking broadly about 60 people for whom it is agreed they are Australian citizens and have a right to return to Australia. We know that Syria has been in civil war for over a decade now. And back in 2014, the Australian government actually made it a crime to travel to certain provinces declaring them places where a terror organisation was engaging in hostile activity. So why did they travel to Syria? We understand there are some women in the Australian cohort who voluntarily and knowingly went into Syria during this conflict. The level of their support for Islamic State is unknown, but there are some extraordinarily difficult circumstances here. Many of the women say they were forced into Syria. They were tricked or coerced or or pressured by their husbands in particular or by their broader families into travelling into Syria or they didn't know they were going into Syria and they've basically become sort of captive of the Islamic State terrorist group. One Australian woman was 14 when she was trafficked into Syria unwillingly. She was forcibly married to an Islamic State fighter. She's since born four children and she's still currently trapped in a camp in northeast Syria with those four young children. Mm. They generally arrived in Syria between 2013 and, and about 2017. Islamic State 
um, so-called declared a caliphate, you know, an, an Islamic state, um, and called on Muslims from around the world to pledge their allegiance. Um, and this led to a number of foreign nationals from all over the world, uh, including Australians, to travel to, to to Syria to support this new so-called state. It wasn't recognised by, by other nations around the world, um, but we saw significant numbers when you compare it to other international conflicts of Australians travelling to become part of this this caliphate and, and um, Australian men signing up to become Islamic State fighters. Since arriving in these family groups, the husbands in these groups have either died fighting with Islamic State or they've been captured or, um, or they've gone missing, um, which has led to these women and children being detained in these camps um, in northeast Syria. So it sounds like these Australians have been in these camps for a number of years now since the fall of Islamic State in 2017. Whereabouts in Syria are these camps? So the Australians are between two camps called Al-Hol and Roj camp. Um, They're both in the northeast of Syria near the sort of Turkish and Iraqi borders. Roj Mm. is a bit closer to the border. Um, It's a bit closer to a, a city and it's considered significantly safer than our hall. It's quite securitised and there are there are opportunities for, for, for children to attend school. Food supplies and water supplies tend to be more regular and consistent, although those have been interrupted in, in recent weeks. Uh, Roj is certainly considered the better camp to be in, but it's still a very difficult place to, to, to be. The Australians live in a sort of uh, a a very sort of tight knot of uninsulated tents. Um, it is incredibly hot during the summer, you know, upwards of 45 degrees every single day. They're living under canvas. Um, in winter, it gets bitterly, bitterly cold in the northeast of, of Syria. Uh, these, ca- these tents regularly flood. Um, it's, there's very little protection from the wind and the snow. Um, nearby to Roj camp, oil derricks that are sort of essentially pumping noxi- noxious fumes through the camp consistently. So this is a very difficult place to, to be a child and to grow up. Al Hall, if it can be believed, is much worse. Al Hall is a very dangerous place. There is a significant Islamic State presence still in that place. There have been something like 100 murders inside Al Hall in the last 18 months. The the uh, security forces that run the camp led a raid there last month. They, they, they seized weapons and bomb-making materials. They arrested about 300 Islamic State operatives. They found women chained in basements and dungeons who'd been held as slaves for literally years. It is a very dangerous place. Islamic State is active within there and its ideology is widespread. Right. So how many Australians are in each of these camps? The vast majority of the Australians are in Roj camp, as I say, the the safer camp, but there is a small presence of Australians in the Al Hall camp. I mean, these the conditions in these camps sound really awful and they would be for anyone, but particularly, I imagine, for children. How have Australian children fared in these camps over the last few years? These are undoubtedly some of the worst places in the world to be a child. Um, we have human rights groups uh, who are in these places regularly and they say conditions are very, very dangerous and damaging for children, and they are deteriorating. Um, Mm. Things are expected to get worse. Winter is fast approaching. Uh, In previous years, we've had Australian children who've contracted frostbite. The camps remain volatile places, and they remain unsafe. Mm. Many of the children have lived for years in conflict zones. There are several children in these camps who were born there and know no life outside them. Most are in very poor physical condition. They have significant mental health issues. They are malnourished and some are suffering untreated shrapnel wounds from the conflict that they've lived through. Hmm. 
So, Ben, who's responsible for these harsh conditions? Who is in charge of these camps? So, for several years now, these camps have been ostensibly under the control of the Syrian Democratic Forces. This is a largely Kurdish group backed by the US. And importantly, these forces who are in charge of the camps support foreign countries removing their nationals from these camps. In, in fact, they're, they're publicly urging the repatriation of foreign citizens as quickly as possible. And it should be mentioned that there is still a significant international presence in this part of Syria. Um, the US military uh, has a large and, and visible military presence there. There are a number of NGOs uh, working in and around these camps to, to, to support these people. Um, organisations like the UN uh, have, uh, uh, are there and, and the Red Cross. So there is significant international interest in addressing this issue of what is to happen to these people who are, who are stuck, who are trapped in these camps. Okay, so it sounds like a number of humanitarian organisations, as well as the security forces running the camps, all support repatriating these women and children. What's Australia's position on this? We have a new government in Australia, and it appears we are finally getting some significant movement on this. The Guardian reported on Sunday that the government is currently preparing a repatriation mission that will bring some of the Australians trapped in these camps home to Australia. Mm. The timing of the mission is unclear and deliberately so. Um, we're unsure exactly how it's going to work. It's been a very closely guarded secret, obviously, for, for security reasons. Significantly, it won't be able to bring all of the Australians out of the camps at once, uh, largely due to sort of logistical and practical issues. There may be some political considerations in there as well. What we do know is that the youngest, the most unwell and the most vulnerable children will be the first to be brought out. Um, and that there will be subsequent missions in an attempt to bring all of the Australians that can be brought home, home in coming months. Mm. There are a lot of elements to these missions that need to be lined up for the, in order for this to work. Australian camps have been, uh, Australian officials have been visiting the camps this year. They're undertaking identity and biometric testing. There's cross-checking that's going to be going on in Australia. And it's not going to be an immediate return to Australia. It's unlikely the Australians will be brought directly into this country. Their return could be staged over weeks, even months. Would this be the first time that a rescue operation like this has been undertaken in Syria? No, far from it. Around the world, countries with nationals inside the camps, you know, Germany, France, the US, Kazakhstan, Russia, have been steadily repatriating their citizens. The, the path out of these camps is a well-established and safe one. And in fact, it's something Australia's done before as well. In 2019, Australia launched a secret mission to repatriate eight Australian orphans, including a pregnant teenager from the camps, and to, to bring them back to Australia. But following that, the previous government refused to bring home any more Australians, citing security concerns. Now, we don't know specifically what these concerns are, but they will be around a couple of areas, whether or not people have been involved in Islamic State activities, whether they've been supporting terrorism overseas, and whether they're capable of and intending to commit potential acts of terror back in Australia. Are these security concerns still an issue today? They are an issue of significant public debate. The opposition certainly still thinks so. Now, they're dreadful circumstances. Uh, it pains me greatly, like it does any Australian, to see children in particular in difficult circumstances. And that's the reality of uh, what their parents have dragged them into uh, or what they've been born into. Opposition leader Peter Dutton, who it must be remembered was formerly the Home Affairs Minister, has said he holds grave concerns that repatriating Australian women and children from Syria poses a significant risk to national security, a risk he says can't be mitigated. But where we've got young males 
uh, potentially of fighting age, uh, who have been indoctrinated over the course of the last decade or so in some instances, where they've been living for years now in a camp, socialising with people who have either committed terrorist attacks uh, or who have been planning terrorist attacks, uh, then we need to take it very seriously. Peter Dutton is saying he's basing his position on what he was told during a, in his words, top secret briefing that he received from the head of ASIO, Mike Burgess. As I say, I'll make no comment on that. We don't want to be complacent in our country. We haven't seen a terrorist attack, thank goodness, in our country for some time. There have been a number of thwarted... Let's go live to Shadow Home Affairs Minister now, Karen Andrews. So I would, um, I, I would even go so far as to say that I am very concerned about the decision that has been made to bring these people back to Australia. Shadow Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews has also criticised the mission, citing advice that the coalition received while it was in government. It was a risk that uh, we as a government weren't prepared to take and there were a, a number of parts to that. Firstly, there was the risk that there was going to be to Australian personnel to undertake the mission to bring these people out and to Australia. Mm. There was the radicalisation um, issue and the fact that if these people came back to Australia, they would pose an unacceptable risk to the communities. It's, that it's, there's a human side of the I get that, but, uh, but, uh, but I think... Yeah. I think if you make a decision to go overseas yeah. um, with someone and fight for Islamic State, you're making a decision as a family. There's no way in the world you should be allowed to come back here. And other commentators have also voiced concerns. No, but, but they didn't, didn't have a choice. But, but you, have, you have to, when you leave the country, be making a decision, OK, oh, I'm putting at risk... Oh, I, think that's being, I think that's being harsh. Carl, I'm yeah, not... I, think that's, I think there's Listen. a human side to this, but I think there's also practicalities and they have to be weighed up. It's a very, very... So what, what are you, you going to do, bring them back? But the government's defending its position, saying the planned repatriation mission is being undertaken consistent with security advice. So, Ben, beyond politics, are there any experts you've spoken to in this space who have a view on this debate over the security concerns with this repatriation mission? I've spoken with Shane Healy. He's a former Australian Defence Force Special Operations Intelligence Analyst, and he's now an expert on countering violent extremism. He's worked extensively in this part of the world and he told me he's confident these women and children can be safely brought back to Australia and should be brought back. He spoke about the women on Triple M Radio, saying they belong to the Salafi movement of Islam. Now, someone who knows more about this than just about anybody is Shane Healy, former ADF Special Operations Analyst. Shane, good to talk to you again. Morning, Steve. How are you? I'm OK. Uh, do you have any doubt that these people should be brought back here? No, not one bit. Not one bit, for a number of reasons. So, for a start, we have to realise that these women have actually been terrorised and traumatised by their husband. They don't have an equal say. They didn't have uh, voluntary. They, they won't ask for their opinion. They were dictated every step of their life. So, the majority of them were ordered or told to come to the Middle East. 90% of them went to Turkey not knowing that they were going to move into the caliphate. And he disputes Peter Dutton's comments about the risk they might pose to Australians. Peter Dutton going off and saying that they're going to come back and conduct terrorist attacks. These women are scared, they're frightened, they're traumatised, malnourished. They just want to be safe. But as you say, Ben, some are speculating about the potential dangers that are involved in this rescue mission. Uh... What do we know has led Labor to conclude that it's now safe to try to rescue Australians in Syria? It's difficult to know why the Australian government's position has changed, whether that's a reflection of changed advice in these briefings 
or whether the political landscape has changed with a new government mm. being elected or whether there's a growing realisation that this has gone on for years now and something needs to be done to solve this issue. Publicly, though, the Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, would only say in a statement that the government's overriding priority is the protection of Australians and Australia's national interest, informed by national security advice. Um, she said that given the sensitive nature of the matter involved, the government is not going to be commenting any further. Mm. There's also a balancing act happening here. The potential risk that might evolve from bringing people back into Australia with the risk of leaving Australian citizens in these places. And sources with intimate knowledge of this planned operation have argued it's in Australia's national security interest to remove the women and children from these dangerous and potentially radicalising environments in these Syrian camps as soon as practicable. And to bring them back into Australia under government supervision and under government control given that as citizens of Australia, they ultimately have the right to return to this country anyway. Ben, what do you make of the argument that there's too great a risk associated with returning these people to Australia so they shouldn't be repatriated? As you mentioned, some of the women who will be rescued willingly travel to Syria as supporters of Islamic State. That's true. And there certainly is. No one is suggesting there is no risk in bringing these women and children back to Australia. But that risk needs to be weighed against the risk of leaving people. And Australia does have very significant powers to control and to monitor people who are returned. The previous government introduced a counter-terrorism temporary exclusion orders bill that enabled the government to monitor people upon their return. And Peter Dutton, then as Home Affairs Minister, said that this bill will ensure that law enforcement agencies can effectively manage these returns in a way which will reduce the threat to the Australian community. So there is a threat there, but it is manageable. And it does feel to me that that argument to not return these people on the grounds of there being too great a risk is now in the minority. Mm. I think this represents a pretty fundamental shift in Australia's attitude towards this specific issue. There is a re there is a growing recognition that this couldn't be allowed to continue, that this was untenable, it was unjustifiable, and it was indefensible to leave Australian citizens in this situation. Um, there's always been a strong argument to go and assist these people to return to Australia. And I think finally, through literally years of advocacy and um, and quiet diplomacy from family members, from, from human rights groups, from Save the Children, um, from experts in this field, it seems that, that Australia has realised that some action needs to be taken. Um, it is, of course, a difficult decision for government. Uh, there will be opposition to it. There will be arguments on the other side. And there is absolutely a risk in undertaking a mission of this sort. But there's enormous risk also in not doing anything. And I think um, Australia has finally arrived at a position that it's time to act. Mm. Addressing the security elements, it's important to remember that Australia's suite of anti-terror laws give authorities very broad powers to deal with potential terror suspects. A lot of these women who are coming back are coming back to a very uncertain return. Um, certainly it appears some will attract the attention of authorities. Some may be arrested, may be charged at the border as they arrive. Others may be subjected to fairly intense, fairly intrusive monitoring for uh, a significant period of time. I spoke to Donald Rothwell, Professor of International Law at the Australian National University, and he says that police could charge or arrest some individuals on arrival for things like engaging or preparing to engage in terrorist acts, or simply for having entered Syria, which was a declared area in the first place. Mm. 
For others who aren't immediately charged, they could also be required to comply with control orders. And these are are very strict, very restrictive orders that can only be imposed by a court at the request of the Australian Federal Police. These are orders that police have used increasingly to put strict controls and conditions on the movements and activities of terror suspects, even when they haven't been formally charged with a crime. Mm. And the women in Roj Camp have already volunteered to be subject to these control orders if they're returned to Australia. Mm. When it comes to children, the assessment is very different. Arguably, they have been far more vulnerable in these camps and the emphasis on their return needs to be around support and humanitarianism and assistance. Next, what will it take to readjust to life in Australia after war? Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. You know, I can't imagine what what it would even be like to try readjusting to life in Australia after being in Syria for so many years. What kind of support will these women and children need to reintegrate into Australian society again? I don't think anyone is pretending this will be an easy process. It is going to be incredibly difficult for everybody involved, for the people returning, for their families here, for the agencies working with them to to work through everything that they, they, they've been through and find a way back to, to integrate into Australian society. Uh, Peter Lowe, who is an expert uh, in countering violent extremism, says this is not the easy thing for Australia to do, but it's the right thing for Australia to do. Mm. I spoke to Shane Healy about this issue, and he argues that the children will need an intensive and comprehensive support system wrapped around them to be able to help them adjust to life in Australia but that ultimately they will be able to do this. They will be able to make that adjustment. He says Australia has the capability and the expertise to support these children. Mm. There are also several human rights and advocacy groups who point to the previous repatriation of eight Australian children back in 2019 to argue that this can and has been successfully managed. They say those children are reported to now be living normal lives in the Australian community. They're attending school, they're playing sport. And they say that the government's decision to repatriate the remaining children would provide those children with those same opportunities and allow them and their mothers to return to their families and begin their recovery. Dr Rifi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Patricia. It seems certain these women and children will be repatriated. What preparations are you making to receive them? Look, uh, we hope they will be repatriated and I believe it when they arrive in Australia, 
Dr. Jamal Rifi is a Sydney GP who's helped support the children who were returned in 2019 and is now working with groups like Save the Children and the Imams Council on ways to support the next Australians to be repatriated. Two and a half years ago, we engaged with the government. We managed to bring unaccompanied minors. Eight minors left the camp. Nine minors arrived to Australia because one of the minors was pregnant. She gave birth in Erbil. Speaking on RN Breakfast, he said that the supports they've developed have worked in the past and will work again. We worked tirelessly for us to be ready. We developed some experience when those unaccompanied minors came in. And to be honest, their reintegration is exemplar. They seamlessly reintegrated. They've all gone to school. They've done very well. And I think actually we are more than ready to play our part. These reintegration programs have a mixed track record. There are examples of great success, but there are examples of where it hasn't worked well and it's been very difficult to do. This will need to be a long-term effort on the part of those people returned, on the part of their families, their communities and the government organisations that are seeking to assist them. This will not be an easy path back, but there is a way. That was Guardian reporter Ben Doherty. You can find all of Ben's reporting on Australia's plans to repatriate women and children from Syria at theguardian.com. And we'll post some links on the full story page. This episode was produced by myself and Joe Koning. Tim Jenkins did the sound design and mixing. Full Story's executive producers are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and Laura Murphy-Oates. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. <laughs>